Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, it's always exciting to be able to, to baptize people who have placed their faith in Christ, and so that's awesome. You may be here today and have received Christ as Savior and never follow the Lord in baptism. Let me encourage you to do that. That's an act of obeying the Lord, and, and every time we make a step of obedience, God does work in our lives. Uh, so we're in this sermon series uh, entitled Facets of Faith, and we're going to look and see different aspects of faith, and uh, last week we talked about that faith is essential. If we want to please God with our lives, that we must live lives of faith. And now, and through uh, most of the rest of the summer, we'll be looking at different characters in the Bible, looking at their faith and pulling out some aspect of faith that is demonstrated in their lives. And so today we want to talk about Noah. Now, um, when I say the word Noah, what comes to your mind? First of all, you guys think of a son, don't you? Your son Noah. But uh, most of the rest of us don't think of that. Uh, When we think of Noah, probably what comes to mind, and sadly, but just the way it is, is you probably, you know, you see a children's storybook with this little boat with giraffe head sticking out the top, right? And, uh, of course, that's not the way that it was, obviously. Uh, But the whole thing about Noah, that when we think about Noah, we think about the flood, right? You with me on that? The flood, Noah's flood. It wasn't really his flood, but we connected with him, and so we talk about it that way. So the flood, and this flood was supposed to be a, a worldwide flood, and um, everyone in the world was, was killed off except for Noah and his family. And if you want to walk out of here today and go down the street and start talking to some people somewhere about Noah's flood, most of them are going to think what? You've kind of lost it. That you really believe that story? You really believe in Noah and a worldwide flood? How could that even be? And, and you know, uh, the pushback on that. And, you know, that's a fair question. Don't you think? It's a fair question for someone to ask. Well, how could that be? Or how would you know that that happened? And, and um, we can pursue that in a lot of different ways. Uh, the Bible does present it as fact. But here's... Here's the real clincher for me. There was a man who came into the world and claimed that he was more than just man, that he was in fact God in human form, Jesus Christ. And he predicted his own death, didn't he? And we have ancient documents that teach us this. We have eyewitness accounts from Matthew and John, and we have... uh, the, right, or the people who recorded eyewitnesses. Mark records Peter's eyewitness. Luke records all sorts of eyewitness. And we, we know that, these, um, that what they wrote is genuine, it's authentic. They're the ones who wrote it. It has not been changed. We can trace it way back and see that it remains unchanged. And the reality is, is that this Jesus predicted that he was going to die, not only die, it's easy to predict you'll die because you can probably make that one happen. But he predicted what? Three days later, I will rise. And he did. 
And so my sense, if someone can say, I'm predicting, here's, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to rise, and then they do it, that maybe he knows what he's talking about. Actually, not maybe, right? I think we ought to go with him. Well, Jesus on at least two occasions talks about Noah and, and this time in history as though it is fact. And so Jesus believed these stories, the one who died and rose again. I think we have reason to believe it's true. If Jesus believed it, good enough for me. And then as I walked in my faith of the Lord, I've come to understand that really the whole Bible is true. And so that's another reason for me to believe it. Um, but what I want to do here, just for kind of fun sake here, for about a, about a three-minute long video, I want to show you uh, it's one scientist's ideas about how the flood could have occurred and some of the, the things that could explain the things that we, we read in the Bible. And uh, then I'll come back up and we'll continue to talk about Noah. The ancient world that Noah lived in was very different from the earth we occupy today. Noah and other pre-flood people probably lived on one very large supercontinent with lush vegetation, inland seas, and major rivers. The mountains were smaller than today's, perhaps 6,000 feet high. Before the flood, about half the earth's water was in interconnected chambers. About 10 miles below the earth's surface, this formed a thin spherical shell, almost a mile thick, the pressure in the subterranean chamber had been increasing for centuries because the gravity of the sun and moon produced tides in the subterranean water that lifted and lowered the Earth's massive crust twice a day. This tidal pumping added gigantic amounts of, of energy to the subterranean water. This increasing pressure in the subterranean water steadily stretched the crust as a, as a balloon stretches when the pressure inside increases. Failure in the crust began as a microscopic crack that grew in both directions at almost three miles per second. The crack, following the path of least resistance, encircled the globe in about two hours. As the crack raced around the earth, the overlying rock crust opened up like a rip in a tightly stretched claw. So the water exploded violently out of the rupture. The Bible even gives us a precise date the 600th year of Noah's life on the 17th day of the second month. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open. Then it says, and the rain fell. The fountains of water jetted supersonically into and above the atmosphere. The spray from these enormous fountains produced torrential rain such as the earth has never experienced before or after. The supersonic fountains eroded the crumbling rock on both sides of the widening crack. This produced huge volumes of sediments that settled through the floodwaters, trapping and burying plants and animals, forming the fossil record. Eventually, the crack became so wide that the newly exposed floor of the subterranean chamber sprung upward, giving birth to the mid-oceanic ridge that wraps around the earth like the seam of a baseball. The continental plates, with lubricating water still beneath them, slid downhill away from the rising mid-Atlantic ridge. After the massive, slowly accelerating continental plates reached speeds of approximately 40 to 50 miles per hour, they ran into resistances, and like a runaway crashing train, they compressed, crushed, buckled, and thickened, rising out of the floodwaters. This is why the major mountains are generally parallel to the oceanic ridges from which they slid. 
Today's major mountains were all pushed up in hours. The hydroplates, in sliding away from the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, opened up very deep ocean basins into which the floodwaters... I guess that's where it ends. I think there was actually a little bit more, but that's all right. You get the idea. And look, so here's the deal. I'm not saying that this is how it happened specifically. We don't know that, but it could have happened this way. And the point is, is that there's even scientific ways to envision the flood that make sense. It's not a crazy idea, okay? Jesus believed it, so I believed it, and it's not a crazy idea, okay? So what we want to do here uh, is... Uh, well, let's go to the book of Hebrews. But before we actually look at the verse, let's refresh our memory. We talked last week about what faith is. And if you remember, we said there's two parts to faith. The kind of faith that the Bible's talking about. There's something that you know, and then something that you choose to trust. And it's just what you know. And as you come to know some information or a fact or some truth or principle, you come to know that, and then you make a decision with your will to trust that that's true, to act upon it, okay? And so we put those two, two things together, and that's what biblical faith is about. And we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, and that is uh, on the Bible that are there, it's there in the chairs, page 1382. And we encourage you, if you don't have a Bible with you today, to pick up one of those Bibles and follow along. I think it'll be very helpful to you. Hebrews chapter 11, page 1382. And last week we read verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that, that he exists. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. As he's worth seeking. He's worth knowing and having a relationship with. So we talked about this faith. Again, these two ideas. You have to choose to trust what you know. And that is a biblical faith. So let's, let's see how this plays out in Noah's life. Verse number seven. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. This idea of condemning the world, in other words, his decision to trust God and follow God was in and of itself a condemnation of everyone who did not choose to do so. And, it, and then God credits him with righteousness, as we have seen multiple times in the Scripture. All right, so what is, what is the deal? Noah came to what? To know something. What did he come to know? God said, I'm going to destroy the world. Okay? And we're going to see in a minute. And then he gave him instructions. And, and it says that Noah was motivated by, when it says the fear of God, he's motivated by God as being the awesome one, the final one, the overall God. And he's moved by that so that he then what? Does what God says. All right? Make sense? So we see faith, don't we? He came to know what God is going to do, and he made a decision to trust God and go with that fact. So let's turn now and look at Noah's story. Turn way toward the front of your Bible to Genesis chapter 6. That is page 6 in the Bible that is there under the chairs. And uh, we're going to start in 
verse number five. And I don't know if that's on page six or seven in that Bible, but it's on one of those. So it says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Do you see how God feels about sin? So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, was Noah a good man, do you think? We're going to see that he was a good man. But I want you to understand something. Did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord because he was good? No, no, no. Now let's think about this carefully. Let me just, just reflect on this. When we talk about grace, we're talking about God showing his favor to us, right? And the important thing to understand about grace is that when God shows his favor to us, it has nothing to do with whether we have done good or not. That's something, huh? Right? For by grace are you saved through faith. We talked about that last week. It is God's dealing with us, not on the basis of what we've done, not on the basis of what we've earned, not on the basis of what we've deserved. And so Noah did not find grace in the eyes of the Lord because he was good and did right things, although we'll see that he did. But there are requirements for the grace of God, and they're very simple. First is you need to Admit you need his grace. And secondly, admit you're needy and then, what did I say? I wrote it down. Also, my brain's doing a blank. Anybody's brains ever do blanks? Oh, good. So I'm not alone. All right. Where am I? Oh, here we go. There we go. All right. Here's, let's back up. The requirements for grace is you must need it and you must admit you need it. That's being humble, isn't it? A demonstrative humility. Boy, God, I need your grace, and I admit I need it. That's being humble. James says, God gives grace to the humble. And so what do we know about Noah? Noah needed God's grace, because he's a human being like you and me, and he admitted he needed it. And pretty much the rest of the earth was just, you know, thumbing their noses at God and saying, we ain't interested. And apparently Noah wasn't. All right, so he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And let me just jump away. I got, I got to say some more. You know, I'm Mr. Teacher Man sometimes. I got to say it. So let that remind you, if you were saved by grace, you were not saved because you did something good or because your good outweighs your bad. Or, or God was just being, you know, somehow nice. No, you get saved because you, you had a need and you admitted it to God and he gives you his grace. So let me ask you, can, if you mess up, and, and can I give you some advice? Don't mess up. But we tend to, right? If you mess up, you sin against God, you do something you know you ought not do, you, you don't do something you know you should do, is your relationship with God at risk? 
Some of you, you know, you're right, good. No, it's not. Because that's not how you got your relationship with God to begin with. You got it by his love and his grace. Okay, all right. Verse number nine. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. And by perfect, it doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. It means complete, whole. He had integrity. He was a just man. And it says he walked with God. So was Noah a good man? Is that why he got saved? Is that why? No, he got saved because he had a need and he admitted it. The grace of God. Verse 10, And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Okay, it's going to be this big container, a big boat. So God says, I'm going to destroy the earth. Do this. Okay, we're going to read on the story. But do you see here what has happened? Noah now knows something. Noah knows. Noah knows that God is going to destroy the earth. Noah knows that God has told him to build an ark. Now Noah has a choice to make, doesn't he? He has to make a decision. Am I going to do what God says? Am I going to believe and do it or not? And, of course, we know the story. He did. Noah had faith. Okay, let's continue reading. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch, and, and this is how you shall make it. God's going to give him instructions. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. Anybody got a tape measure with cubits on it? No, a cubit uh, in the uh, uh, ancient days was about the length of a, of a man's forearm, okay? And so probably about a, a foot and a half, and in, a foot and a half here. So he, God just told Noah to make this boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That's a big boat, okay? You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Verse 22 is key. Thus Noah did According to all that God commanded him, so he did. Noah does what? Obeys God. Noah obeys God. And so here we see uh, a facet of faith, and that is being obedient. That obedient faith. That is a, there's a connection. Go ahead and go to that slide if you would. 
Obedient faith. There is a connection between faith and obedience. In fact, an inseparable connection. Let's look a little farther here. Verse 5, that continues the story. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Verse 9, two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Verse 16, so those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And then the Lord shut him in. Uh, But they did... Noah did time and time again what God had commanded. And and what I want you to see today is that obedience as a facet of faith is inseparably connected to faith. And that's important for us to understand, which we'll we'll see in just a minute. But let me give you a little equations here, okay, for me. First one, remember, no plus choose to trust. Okay, I I should start asking if you can remember this, right? What's the first part? You what? You know, and then you what? Choose to trust. And that equals faith. That's what faith is, okay? Well, think about this. What did Noah choose to trust? He chose to trust what God said, and in response to what God said, he what? Obeyed. And so for Noah, this choice to trust was a choice to Obey. So let's put this. Here we go. We know something and we choose to obey. That's faith, isn't it? See, there's a faith connection to obedience. And so therefore we say obedience is a facet of faith. It's connected with faith. And it's really, really important for us to understand this. Um, And let me just say before I forget it. We're going to talk about obedience today. God enables you to obey just as surely as he enables you to believe. When I'm talking about obedience today, you're not on your own. If we're we're dealing with faith and trusting God, God is at work in your life and will enable you to obey. But so let's, let's understand this, that if you don't believe God, you can't obey God. Go ahead and go to that slide if you would, Mitchell. Thank you. If you don't believe God, you can't obey God. Now you might say, what do you mean? And the the, the tendency is to think of obedience as something we do outwardly. But with God, obedience must come from the heart or it's not obedience. It has to come from within. So if you don't believe God, you can't obey God. Romans 14, 23, talking about a situation where people are disagreeing about what was accepted, what was not. And Paul summarized that and he says, for whatever is not from faith is what? Sin. In other words, if this obedience, what you're calling obedience, is not the result of the fact of what God has said and you making a choice to believe that and obey it, it's not really obedience. It's something else. It's, it's you doing your own thing and calling it obedience. All right, so let's look at it. this another. I, I like math, so I'll give you some more equations today, okay? All right, so if something is not from faith, it is what? We just thought we read that. That's what, the, what Paul said, right? The Holy Spirit led him to write that. Whatever's not of faith is sin. So if it's not from faith, it's sin. Okay? Sin is disobedience, right? If you're sinning, aren't you disobeying God? Okay, he's going to try questions. It's not new math. Sin is disobedience. And so therefore, if something is not from faith, it is what? 
disobedience. In other words, everything in our lives as we live ought to be, when we're talking about obeying God, ought to be based on what God has said. And he talks about from the inside out. Now, let me, let me make this even, uh, I think, a stronger reality to you. We go back to the book of Proverbs and see the wisdom. And, and Proverbs 21.4 says this, A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. Now, do we get the haughty look, <laughs> you know, a pretty kind of uppity person? We would say that's sinful, right? And pridefulness, we would say that's sinfulness. How about plowing a field? How does that become sinful? I'll tell you how it becomes sinful. The wicked is not submitted to God. The wicked's heart is not right with God, the wicked person. The wicked's heart, I mean, they're not you know, saying, oh, wow, here's what God said. That's what I want to do. That's what I need to do in trusting it. It's not happening. And so what does that mean? If it's not of faith, it's what? Sin. By the way, can you understand uh, that how bad of a situation this puts a person who has not yielded to God and received Christ as Savior? They are in rebellion to God, and nothing they do is done in faith. So everything they do is what? Sin. Even the things that we would look at and say, that is a good thing. That is a good thing. But it's not coming from a heart that's what? Surrendered to God. It's not coming from that heart. Therefore, it's, they're doing their own thing. They're not doing God's thing. Okay? So it's important for us to understand. Obedience is a facet of faith. And there is no obedience apart from faith. Let me show you this again. Uh, let's think about how disobedience works. Because on the one side, we talk about disobedience. We know what God has said and we're choosing to trust it. We're choosing to obey it. This is a, a faith in our lives. Well, what about the disobedient? How does that work? Well, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul talks about these people. He says, although they knew God, they what? They, they knew something. They did not what? Glorify me. They did not choose to yield to that, trust it, obey it. But they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were dark and, and they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. So here's what's happening with those who are uh, in rebellion against God. They start off, they know something that's true and right, but they say no to God. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there. So there, there's no faith here and, and not doing it. But this becomes a problem because if this is true, I ought to do this. If this is true, I really should do this. And so it becomes a turmoil. So what do they do? They take this thing that they know, and they do what? What's it say they do? They change it. They exchange it for something else that will then justify how I want to live. And so we, we see this idea of knowing and choosing to trust, choosing to obey is a faith thing. All right, so as we talk about obedience and we start uh, focusing in all that, uh, on that, um, I think obedience has kind of gotten a bum rap over the years. Because if I came up here today and stood and started saying, you need to obey God, how would you feel about that? I'm not talking about what you'd know or whether you would think it was right. How would you feel about that? It kind of comes hard, doesn't it? It's kind of harsh. 
the way it feels. And that's the way obeying feels. If you have an authority, if, if you go to work tomorrow and you talk, the boss is saying, I want you to do this, and you're going, well, isn't there a better way? And he says, just obey me. You're going to go, oh, I feel so good right now. When you tell your children, right, sometimes, and sometimes you need to in a certain circumstance, I mean, I think you need to try to talk to your children, explain things to your children, but sometimes with your children, or even with your grandchildren, you've got to say, no, because I, what? Said so. You have to do so. You have to obey. But that doesn't feel good. That's hard. We, we don't like it when people tell us what to do. But can we be real honest here with ourselves for a moment? If God says to do something... Shouldn't that be enough? It ought to be. We need to kind of get over ourselves. We need to actually surrender to the Lord, okay? But God is so good. God doesn't just say, just obey me. He says, oh, I got all sorts of good reasons why you ought to obey me. One of the examples is that God always knows what's best, doesn't he? He always knows what's best. Do you always know what's best in your circumstances? Do you kind of think you know what's best in your circumstances? Have you ever found out that you didn't know what was best in your circumstances? God always knows what's best. And so whatever he's told you to do in his word is always best. If you can settle that in your heart and mind, that'll help you a whole bunch, won't it? What God says is always best. And then God loves us. And his love, he always acts in our best interests. So if God is having us do something, it's because it's in our best interest. And that he, God has given, if you can get this into your heart and mind as well too, that whatever God has told us to do, how he has told us to think, the principles he's told us to live by, he's given us this information because he loves us. Did any of you make rules, if you had children, or if you, someday you're going to maybe, but if you had children, did any of you make rules so that you could torment your children? Did any of your children ever feel like that was why you made the rules? But you didn't. If you had a rule, and we're imperfect, right, as people, but we try, the rules that we made for our children, the things we expected them to obey us in, we really were acting in their best interests, we, right? We really were. All right, another thing, God's ways are perfect. I think it's Psalm 18, David says, as for God, his ways are perfect. He doesn't mess up. And so what he's told us to do it's perfect. It's the perfect sit, uh, solution to whatever situation you find yourself in. And then God always blesses heartfelt obedience. I mean, think about this. God could say, I'm God, you're not. Do this and obey me. And you obey him and you say, okay, good. And leave you alone in it. But God is so gracious, isn't he? He goes so much farther. And he says, yes, you do what I say. You do what I say from the heart, and I will bless you for it. It will be a good thing in your life. Well, what about when obedience seems hard or painful? And there are times when obedience seems hard or painful. Go ahead and go to that slide if you would, Mitchell. Obedience can seem hard or painful. The things we read about in the Word of God sometimes requires us to, to do things or not do things that just makes life hard. You know, if you're single here today, uh, it may very well be that you will 
God will put you in a place where you have to say no to a relationship that you're kind of drawn to. That's a hard thing, isn't it? God may tell you, not just you're single, any of us, that, okay, you need to change this in your life. Well, that's hard. Uh, yeah, I'll come back to that. So when obedience seems hard or painful, we got to get to where Job was. When he talked about God and he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if obeying God ends up taking my life, I will trust God. Why? Because what do I know about God? He always acts in my best interests, right? I'm going to trust that. His ways are perfect. I'm going to trust that. So when obedience seems hard or painful, uh, Jesus said this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice. Well, that seems like an odd response, doesn't it? But rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Some things aren't settled here, guys. There are things, some things that will not be settled to heaven. And it'll be worth it in heaven. But the idea is, Jesus says, if you get called on to do a hard thing, do it. It will be worth it. Uh, Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Not worthy to be compared. Okay, if this is going to require me this, what am I going to get in heaven? Stop trying to compare. Any comparisons you come up with are too small. All right, not worthy to be compared. Whatever you have to go through will be nothing. And Jesus himself gave us this example. Uh, here he is, the Son of God in human form. Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what did he do? He humbled himself and became, what's the next word? Obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. And we could go to Hebrews chapter 12 and see that it says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, he, he knew something and he chose to trust and follow his heavenly father. He lived by faith in that sense. And so when we think about obedience and all the stuff that goes with it, sometimes the hard stuff, and, and we want to see that this comes out of faith. It's not obey, obey, obey. It's really, what do I know is true about God? I, I need to choose to trust that. I need to do what he says. I need to obey. Here's what's true. I need to obey that. It's a good thing. It's flowing out of faith. This is not trying to obey mm, out of your own thing. It's about believing God. And then he works in your life and enables you. Uh, Charles Stanley, uh, preacher of the word of God for so many, many years, has this statement. He says, obey God and leave the consequences to him. That is just amazingly Awesome advice. We can trust him to do those things in our lives that need to be done. A couple times in life, and actually more, but I was just trying to think of some highlights in my life where I have experienced this. Uh, years ago, uh, the first year that my wife and I got married, um, I had a degree in administration of justice that's pre-law, pre-corrections, pre-police, whatever, but I didn't think I wanted to do that. I was struggling with what God wanted me to do, and so I, I got a job at General Mills packing flour. Okay? 
And so I'm working, and I got in a situation where I was a mechanic running machines, and they, uh, General Mills gets busy, and they run seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I was like an assistant pastor at my church. I was in charge of the worship. I was taught the, the young adults. I was involved in all sorts of things in the church. And so as a mechanic, I was working days. Okay. And, and so they say, you can't have time off. This is part of the contract requires, and when we get to this place, you have to work. Okay. So what I did is I, I said, I've got to make this work, because I, I really believe God wanted me there in church. I had that responsibility. And I, um, so I, on, let's see, what day was, what, I'm trying to think. That's right. So Friday, I worked the day shift. Saturday, I traded and worked 3 to 11. And then Sunday, I went to church all day, and I didn't go to work till 11, because I traded for the overnight shift on Sunday night. So I could be at church all day in the evening. And then I had to trade back in to the 3 to 11 shift the next day on Monday to trade back into Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock again. I didn't know what day it was. And it just became clear to me I could not do that. And so I talked to the foreman, and I said, I talked to him about what's going on, about you know, what I believe God wanted me to do. And he said, well, you can't do that. You have to work. I said, well, this is where I'm going to say I made a decision for me at that time. I'm not saying what you would have necessarily, what God wanted you to do. This is what he wanted me to do. Very clear. I said, well, I'm telling you now, respectfully, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be here if you have me work. Well, you can't do that. You'll, you know, you'll probably get fired if that's the case. Okay. So the schedule continues that way. I called in the following Sunday morning and said, hey, just want to remind you that I will not be in today. Oh, we're unhappy about this, right? I mean, but you know what? I never heard another word about it. And it wasn't long before my wife and I picked up and moved away to go to Bible college to go into ministry. But God used that in my life, see? He used it in my life. And uh, one other time, since I've been the pastor of the church, there was a time when I was feeling tremendous pressure from a number of people to do something, to make this particular decision and do it, and I had no peace about it, but I knew, or at least I, I thought that if I didn't go along with uh, this decision, that it was going to create all sorts of problems in the church, and what do I do? And, and I, I set aside a day, and Anthony, I, I was in your apartment, before it was your apartment, but I went downstairs and I stayed there and all day for the very purpose of God, what do you want me to do? And about a little over halfway through the day, all of a sudden it's just very clear that I was not supposed to go along with that. I was to say no to it. And at that point I said, okay, God. And his peace came over me. Because whatever happens, his business then, isn't it? Obey God, leave the consequences to him. And, and, and this, I think there were some people unhappy, but the idea is God worked. And it didn't end up being this huge thing that I was worried it could have been. But the idea of trusting God, right? Obey him, leave the consequences to him. Now, let me encourage you, obedience to God. Here's what you'll experience. When you obey God, it will produce greater confidence in God. Okay, because I discovered I obey God. What God says is true. 
I have more confidence in Him. It shows us that God's Word can be trusted. Wow, if I apply His Word, look, here's what happens in my life. Whether it's good, hard, or whatever, it doesn't matter. God worked. I can trust His Word. And so the next time I come to some place in His Word, I can trust Him. Uh, it opens the door to God's wisdom. Okay? Uh, we won't take time, but that's what James says in chapter 1. Okay, he says you've got to believe God to really get the wisdom of God, which means you've got to know it, act on it, experience it. Uh, and then it teaches us that God is faithful. When we obey Him, it teaches us that God is faithful. Let me say it again. God is faithful. But you won't experience that if you don't obey. And obedience... So if you're struggling to obey, what do you need to do? Work on believing. Believe God. You'll obey God. Now, in closing here, I will say to you that there has never, 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 ever been a time when I obeyed God that I regretted it. Never. I have always, 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 always regretted my disobedience. Did I say always? Always. And it's not that necessarily some big calamity happened in my life. Sometimes it's just this inner, oh God, I'm so sorry. Or lost opportunity. Or I didn't grow like I could have, and now I'm like, I feel like I'm behind. I've always regretted the disobedience, and you will experience the same thing. And so you got a choice today. Am I really going to believe God and then obey as a facet of that? Because here's the deal if you choose to I believe and obey you, God, what's going to happen is that's going to strengthen your faith in God. And as your faith is strengthened, Oh, I want to what? Oh, believe and obey God. And I'm there and God meets me there every time and says, yes, you can do this and encourages me and helps me. And then I, my faith grows and I believe and I obey and my faith grows and it's this upward spiral of good things. And, and if you go the other way, if you don't make this choice, you, you don't obey God and don't connect with him in that and your faith is challenged and, and you, you just struggle to obey God and, and your faith... You see, this is the choice we got every time. The nice thing is at any point, if you will say, wait a minute, God, I'm going the wrong direction. God, I need you. He'll help you to get back on the right track. And it does start with trusting Jesus as Savior. You need to believe you. You need to have a need and admit it. I need Jesus to be my Savior. I've sinned against the Holy God. And so you make that choice. And then day in, day out, believe God. Know what's true. Choose to go with God. Live by faith. And it will absolutely be worth it. And God will be honored and glorified in your life. Let's pray.